Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Lots and lots of comment coming into us, and I will get to it before the end of the programme, and we always appreciate it. Thank you. And, of course, you can speak to Ali for free on 1800-938-007. A weekly feature on the programme now. Tip Today goes global, and as usual, I'm delighted to be joined by a Tipperary young man, Thomas Conway, who's a politics and economics student. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Good to see you today. You're going to start... You're going to playing into conversations that we had earlier on the programme, you're going to talk to us about boom time in the Gulf because uh, energy, of course, is the big uh, conversation, isn't it? It is, yeah, and I was listening to your conversation earlier on and it's very interesting, really, because I think we're we're entering what I would describe as the last chapter of the fossil fuel age. Yeah. So, you know, countries are winding down their use of fossil fuels, they're switching to sustainable green energy and you might be tempted to think like a region like the Middle East is about to go into terminal decline, but that's not really the case. In fact, I was looking at the, the kind of economic plan for the next, we'll say, two decades, and a lot of the high-producing, oil-producing countries actually plan to expand production for the next 20 to 25 years, and then come around 2045, they intend to slash it dramatically. But the thing is... Our demand for oil and gas from these countries has increased rapidly courtesy of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and Russia's leveraging of energy. Right, and they're making hay while the sun shines. They're making hay while the sun shines. The big question, I suppose, is can they they generate enough revenue from this to kind of reinvent and revitalise their economy when fossil fuels eventually do wind down? And, you know, I mean... Given the level of demand that's there for oil and gas at the moment, given our dependency on it, we still have a huge dependency on it. You know, they could well do so. Just to give you an overview of the Middle East, I mean, within the Middle East itself, it's the Gulf region. So the area that surrounds the Persian Gulf, the countries there are responsible for the vast majority Mm. Of energy what, production. What countries are we talking about? So we're talking about the likes of Saudi Arabia, massive energy producer, Qatar, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and then to a slightly lesser extent, Bahrain, uh, Kuwait, Oman. They also produce considerable quantities of, of oil and gas. So right now, the Gulf is essentially in the middle of a, a $3.5 billion energy bonanza, and that's courtesy of the war in Ukraine. Western governments are obviously scrambling to keep the lights on, looking for energy, and they're turning to the Middle East. Russia then, on the other hand, I think I mentioned it before, has turned into a petrol station for China almost. Mm. A lot of its energy exports, hydrocarbon exports, are flowing east towards China and East Asia. So, like, I mean, it's very interesting, but I guess it's important to... It's important to consider, I mean, the Gulf and a lot of the Middle East has had a dreadful time over the past two decades. People don't need me to tell you, I mean, over a million people estimated to have died, wars in Iraq, conflicts, yeah. Syria, mm. Afghanistan. But there's kind of a sense of optimism now sweeping through the region, which is very interesting. What's going to challenge it, though? What's going to challenge its kind of its economic output is stability. And obviously the region is still incredibly unstable. I mean, Iran, which you talked about a rogue state in your in your conversation prior. Yeah. Iran, which in my opinion probably is a rogue state, kind of has a dangerous sphere of influence there. It has, I suppose, controlling or influencing militant groups in the lights of Lebanon, Syria. Um, 
and that is obviously generating a fair degree of instability. But I was reading this week that the very interesting thing is other countries, the likes of Egypt, Israel, Saudi Arabia, they're actually kind of forging new alliances. For instance, like Israel would not have had cosy relations with a lot of the Arab states in the past. And that's as a result, I suppose, of the Palestinian conflict and that. But they're now moving to improve relations. So they're pragmatic. They're pragmatic. And you see, the thing about the Middle East is, unlike, unlike, we'll say, Europe, where we have the EU, a single market and cross-border relations, we trade openly. That hasn't existed in the Middle East because there's been a lot of conflict between the various the various countries there. But I think leaders are kind of now grasping the reality that, God, if we need to improve our economies, if we want to improve our economic welfare, welfare we're going to have to improve cross-border ties. So it, it is very interesting. And they're also embracing kind of Western technology, Westernization to a certain extent. I mean, in in little over a month's time, Qatar will host the Football World Cup, albeit very controversially, but it's still, you know, the landmark sporting events. Yeah. Saudi is welcoming major sporting events. It, it has bought Newcastle United Football Club, who I support. So there's a, you know, there's kind of an integration, a process of integration happening there. And it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out over the next 20 to 25 years. Wanted indeed. What about the Iran nuclear deal, though, that, that uh, Trump did such damage to? I mean, is, is, is that Yeah, is that pr- prospects in, in are this? very grim. Yeah. Prospects yeah. are very brief, are bleak. It, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be revived anytime soon. Now, they may make a breakthrough. I think there are ongoing talks on and off in Geneva. But I suppose the thing is, if Iran actually gains a nuclear weapon, then you'd imagine a country like Saudi Arabia, its major regional rival will quickly follow suit. And, you know, the more nuclear weapons proliferate, the more dangerous the scenario becomes. We know, we see Putin has opened a Pandora's box in relation to Ukraine there. Um, and it becomes a very dangerous situation, particularly in a region like the Middle East. That's interesting. I'm going to get you just to back off your mic just a, a small little bit, yeah. just because it's popping a bit. Um, UK politics at the moment is looking like... It's, it, you couldn't write it, really, what's happening. But you're homing in on the Labour Party uh, a conference. Um, what What's happening? Yeah, I mean, like, it feels like it's all been about the Conservative Party, mm-hmm. and it has for, for the past while. They obviously are having their conference, I think, in Birmingham uh, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Labour had theirs in Liverpool last week and I was kind of thinking to myself I was watching Keir Starmer's speech one of the days and I I think he would probably make a pretty good leader. Do you think so? Well the opinion polls seem to think so Mm. anyway because they've opened up a a seismic a colossal lead over the Conservatives. But is that just because of the mess that the Conservatives have made of everything? Uh, I I think it probably is. I think it probably is and we see how the markets have reacted and it's very interesting the market reaction because you know, in general, markets, you know, financial markets would favour deregulation, would favour tax cuts, but they also favour stability. Mm. And the Conservative Party has not offered that in recent times. So just to give you an overview, I mean, like, obviously, we've gone through several Conservative Prime Ministers. Labour kind of have been almost relegated to the sidelines. Jeremy Corbyn came into power a couple of years ago. Yeah. He had he had an exceptionally good election in 2017, kind of captured the imagine of young voters. And then I, I think his hardcore left-wing policies... Too far left. Yeah, were exposed yeah. in the 2019 general election. And Boris Johnson took all those seats, particularly in that red wall area. You know, formerly Labour voting regions that 
essentially back Boris, I think, because of Brexit, mm. uh, amongst other things, and, and that was the root of his popularity. So then Labour brought in Keir Starmer. He's, he's been an MP since, uh, since 2015, hasn't had a long time as an MP, admittedly, a very successful and distinguished legal career mm. prior to that. He was Director of Public Prosecutions, uh, Head of the Crown Prosecution Service, and I think you can kind of see his legal skills in his political style. If mm. you ever watch him in the House of Commons, he's kind of a, a prosecutorial style. You know, yes. he quizzes government ministers and the Prime Minister on, on various issues. So he's yeah. quite good from that perspective. On, on the detail and the surgical On the stuff, detail yeah. and the nuance. I yeah. think there's probably still a question there regarding his charisma. Does he have the, you know, does he have what it takes to be PM? Does he have the kind of popularity? And, and another question, does he have the figures around him? Mm. Regardless of how, how good or bad Starmer is, you know, a lot will depend on the figures around him. And what about that that shadow front bench and the like? Does he have? Yeah, I mean, like, they don't have instant name recognition. No. People might be familiar with the likes of Angela Rayner. She's deputy leader. Again, a very experienced MP endorses a fairly centrist policy agenda like Starmer. You have others like Rachel Reeves who would be similar. But beyond that, there, there just aren't many. So, uh, some of the front branchers are, are quite, you know, are not well known. In contrast, I suppose, to the Conservative Party because obviously they've been in government. But I mean, it's going to be very interesting over, over the next while to see, can will the Conservatives narrow that gap? I mean, Liz mm. Truss is not having a good time we see a little bit of a detente, maybe in relations with Ireland and the EU. Steve Baker. That was very interesting. A very yeah. interesting development in, yeah. in the past 24 hours. Effectively apologised uh, for mm. his hardcore Brexit stance. So I think a realisation creeping into to British government benches that look, we we have to we have to cool things down here. We have to take a constructive approach to that. With our neighbours. And I was still 17-point lead uh, the Labour Party has A over. staggering lead. It's, a staggering lead, really. Isn't it? All right, it's going to be very interesting times uh, ahead for sure. Um, Russia's backyard. There's there's difficulty going on there, isn't Russia's there? backyard, yeah. Central Asia. A, a place, I have to say, I do not know much about. And, and I'm sure a lot of listeners... I can never pronounce some of the countries. No, that country. that is the main thing. I mean, you have the lights. I hope I get it right. Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kurdish. Tajikistan, like it's obviously home to a big population and it actually has a fascinating history. I mm. mean, you go back in time and it was kind of the route of the Great Silk Road, that major trade route that stretched from east to west. In the 13th century, you had Genghis Khan, the, the Mongol warlord. He marched across and conquered much of, much of those territories. So it has a fascinating history. But mm. then for much of, I suppose, the 20th century, it was subsumed into the Soviet Union. It was part of, of the Soviet Empire. Yes. And then when that collapsed, when the Soviet Union disintegrated, all these independent republics were established. And I think what I'm going to talk about now, there's conflict in a lot of them. And the roots of that stretched back to, to 1990. Mm. What happened was, you know, independent republics established, borders had to be redrawn very quickly. And I think in a lot of cases, mistakes were made. There were kind of enclaves of 
of ethnic populations located in countries o- overlapping in here. overlapping yeah. Yeah. overlapping and in, in recent weeks and months we've kind of seen a, an outbreak a spillover of, of mm. tensions tensions between Az- Armenia and Azerbaijan there's been a but l- do these countries not pay homage to Russia though Thomas yeah and it's it's very it's peculiar because a lot of them are allied to Russia mm. and yet their relations with one another are quite fractious right uh, so I mean Armenia and Azerbaijan there was kind of an outbreak of tensions there over 100 military personnel killed over a disputed region uh, another one to break out recently Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan both close and firm allies with Russia a border dispute there and right. it goes back to what I was saying you know borders had to be redrawn very quickly should um, Putin, I know he has other concerns, but should Putin be very concerned about this? I think he will because, I mean, you know, Russia has peacekeeping forces in the region, but a lot of their military forces have been diverted to Ukraine and they're using up a lot of military fire, firepower there. So this regional instability is not good. It's not good. I mean, look, Russia's reputation in the West is has been shattered by, by their actions in Ukraine, but it still has cards to play with China. Now, China views views Russia, I think, as useful to a certain extent, but not indispensable. So if it sees that it can't control its sphere of influence, you know, it, it, it's not going to be too happy. It's very interesting. What about the economies of those countries, though? What? Yeah, I mean, like, it's there are, there are major disparities. Kazakhstan, for instance, uh, is, I think, the ninth largest oil producer on the globe. So it has kind of a, a thriving hydrocarbon sector. Its economy has... has expanded dramatically in recent years, really. Then you have countries like those I mentioned, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, still quite poor, would not have a lot of mineral resources. A lot of the the money in the country would be from remittances sent home from Mm. citizens working abroad. So it's probably fair to characterise it as an underdeveloped region. Um, And obviously, you know, faces challenges and this kind of instability and conflict is not going to help its economic fortunes. It's interesting, isn't it? A new Gandhi for for India? Yeah, a new Gandhi for India. This guy, now he's no relation, he's no relation, but he's doing something similar to Mahatma Gandhi. He's on a long march across the country um, in an attempt, I suppose, to, to woo voters and connect with the lives of ordinary Indians. And I suppose it brings back memories of Mahatma Gandhi, his 380-kilometre march to the West Coast in defiance of British rule, such an iconic event, they would eventually uh, gain independence in 1947. And then, sadly, Mahatma Gandhi was assassinated just a year later. But I think what what, what that march did is it it demonstrated how powerful a political device uh, such a thing can be. And, I mean, in the years since, there have been numerous, there have been politicians who've tried it uh, grassroots leaders who've attempted to march across the country. Another fellow went across the country in a mini truck, uh, trying to to connect with with ordinary marches right. or with ordinary voters. But this guy, Rahul Gandhi, he's the leader of the Indian Congress Party, which is the main opposition party, the main opposition to Narendra Modi. And essentially, I mean, they're not having a good time. Narendra Modi's party, the BG, BJP. Uh, have a majority in the Lok Sabha, which is the Indian parliament. They're in control in a lot of regional governments. And remember, India is obviously a massive country. It's a federation. Uh, So there are a lot of different states there which Modi's party controls. This guy is marching across the country in an attempt to, I think, 
there's a little bit of desperation to it. I, I think it's kind of a last attempt to revive his right. own political career and his party's political career. But he's career. no real threat to Modi. I he? don't think he is yeah. at, at this point in time. I mean, Modi is deeply popular. He endorses that kind of nationalist agenda. Uh, Rahul Gandhi, on the other hand, seems to be kind of fighting a, a losing battle. As I said, hint of desperation to this march. Mm. Uh, you know, he's trying to he's trying to win back working class voters, which Modi has snatched over the past couple of years. Right. And, uh, you know, it's hard to see him uh, being successful, It'll but be you never know. Yeah. You never Modi, know. Modi has uh, well, he certainly had links with Mr. Trump, didn't he? Oh, he uh, certainly uh, does. Yeah. He certainly does. I suppose yeah. they they're similar. They have that kind of macho charisma to them. Um, and uh, you know, if Trump gets back into power, you can imagine. Uh, you can imagine they will continue their bromance. I, I love the way you say that. You just toss it. Out. If Trump gets back into power, it's going to be an interesting it one. That is it. Um, what to watch out for then? What should we watch out for internationally over the next while? Then, yeah, I mentioned Israel earlier. There's yeah. a, the major EU summit taking place with with Israel. It's the first time since 2013, and I think it, it's an opportunity to restore relations between the bloc and. And Israel, there's obviously uh, the current Israeli Prime Minister, Yair Lapid, is kind of a more moderate figure than Benjamin Netanyahu, his predecessor. But he is up for election this November, another Israeli election. And of course, Netanyahu is eyeing a political comeback. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. We're about... In an extra, we're about one month away from the midterms. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting. I mean, we mentioned Trump there. His influence on U.S. politics has not waned since he left the White House. Joe Biden's approval ratings have improved. He seems to be getting on a little bit better. But if he loses control of both houses of Congress, and we can talk about this in subsequent weeks, I mean, it would be disastrous. It'll he'll find it extremely difficult to push through a lot of his signature poly policy moves. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one uh, to watch. He's um, Some of his public performances are getting more and more kind of strange. and Yeah, I mean, he, he like, one day, he, you know, he'll seem quite solid. Yeah. Other days, he seems lacking in energy and, and conviction. He can be quite kind of inconsistent yeah. in that respect. You know, so it is kind of worrying. But, you know, I mentioned before, if we look to head to 2024, there's no... Other Nobody's person emerging, no. in the Democratic Party. Nobody's emerging. Certainly not Kamala Harris. No real senator standing up. So, you know, Biden could well stand for a second term. Good God. Right. Um, and uh, finally, just to look to uh, Italy before yeah, we go. Yeah, just to, well. I mean, Georgia Maloney, who obviously swept uh, swept victory in the election with the Brothers of Italy last week, uh, she is set to, to become Prime Minister. They should form a right-wing coalition in the coming weeks. And it'll be very interesting to see how they uh, how they react and how they um, mm. how their relations go with the with the European now Union. Now she was trying to sound rather moderate on the run up to the election and indeed with the victory. But what about now? I mean, what's yeah? What's... Uh, to be honest, I don't think people. You know, obviously because she's far right, people are immediately fearful of her. I, I, I think the 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 fear has maybe reduced in in recent weeks. I think they're. I think she will be slightly more responsible than a lot have have predicted. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how she how she manages the economy in particular, because mm. you know there's obviously a COVID recovery fund there that Italy badly needs, yeah. and she needs to preserve their status within the EU. It, it, it'll be very uh, interesting. There's a lot of discussion now about the term far right. And yeah, and what does it actually mean? It actually, you know, yeah. you know. So I mean, it's very interesting. We do see a lot of these populist parties <clears throat> have become a little more responsible in mm. recent weeks. You know, we have the Sweden Democrats in Sweden have mm. swept into power as well. They've realised that in order to govern, 
they're going to have to get their act together. Yes, you Marine know. Le Pen as well. As Marine Le Pen, France, yeah, yeah, Marine Le Pen indeed in France. All right, listen, really good to see you as always, Thomas. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much indeed. News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.